Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Thanks. Explains uh, The jet lag explains why you liked my sermon last time around. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm so excited to be here, and I'll tell you, after worshiping with you and shaking hands and meeting a lot of uh, the people here at North, it's always just a, an amazing thing to me how God has made his body and the instant sense of fellowship and, uh, and camaraderie that we have in Jesus, and I am grateful to be here with you this morning. Good to see some familiar faces from the old days, too, at Scottsdale Bible and other places, and uh, it's just a sweet thing to be here uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3 together, so if you have your Bible, open up there. We'll be in verses 11 through 13, as you see there on the screen. But it's Memorial Day weekend, and it's the official start to summer, right? And uh, some of us are traveling and uh, away, but uh, all of us have got summer on our mind in some way, uh, firing up the grill or making our summer transition plans or whatever it might be. But one of the things on our mind is swimming. I don't know if you've already taken the dive into your pool yet, but it's still a little too early for me. Uh, with these cool nights, unless the pool's heated, there's no way I'm getting near that. But you know how it is in Phoenix, uh, you, you start wanting to swim and you look at the pool and it looks beautiful, but there's only one way to check it, right? And that's to step over and to dip your toe in and to feel. And for most of us right now, we're going to jerk our toe right back <laughs> and go back inside until it warms up a little bit. Um, but uh, swimming is a great metaphor. There's, you look at the pool and there's so much depth there and refreshment before you, uh, but are you ready to take the dive in? Some of us are a little bit more bold, and we'll just go get on the diving board and hold our breath and plunge right in and enjoy the refreshment and the bracing uh, cool water there. But of course, I'm going somewhere with that because uh, this morning I'd like to look at the idea about just diving into our relationship with God. Um, maybe your relationship with God this morning looks really inviting, but something's made you hesitate to really dive into your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been coming every morning uh, on Sunday and you hear the message and you hear the worship and you feel like you're just dipping your toe and you're checking and you're checking and, and yet there's something that's holding you back from just giving your life wholly over to Jesus and to diving into that relationship um, with him. This morning we're going to be looking at the encouragement of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians and we want to open our, our ears and our hearts to what God has for us this morning. And he's calling us through this passage to boldly and to confidently dive in to a relationship with Jesus. Nothing holding back, no toe dip, to go for it and to confidently expect that he's going to meet us in return. You know, Paul wrote this book to the Ephesians, and they were familiar with this concept. Ephesus was a city full of Gentiles. Uh, they were identified by their worship of this goddess, Diana or Artemis. Uh, she was famous in Ephesus, had a big temple there. Uh, there was a huge commerce around Diana or Artemis, and uh, everybody was supposed to pledge allegiance to Diana and Artemis. It was part of their public identity. And the gospel came into Ephesus through different missionaries, Apollos and Paul and, and others were, were bringing the gospel to them and sharing about Jesus. And God was doing some amazing things, some supernatural things in people's lives, delivering them and changing them. Uh, there were people who were trying to fake Christian ministry and they got ran out 
uh, 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 by these spiritual forces that attacked them back. It was just some crazy stuff happening. But it made sense because what was going on in Ephesus, in addition to this worship of this goddess, was this uh, magic arts. The people were heavily involved in dark magic. And uh, when the gospel came to them, uh, they found that Jesus was so much more valuable and so much more powerful and so much more beautiful than what they had in their false idols. And they found for their magicians that Jesus' power was greater and more holy and good than the power that they had experienced before. And so they had before them a choice to make. Who were they going to follow? And for many people in Ephesus, they decided that Jesus was the best, that Jesus was the most powerful. And so that meant some big things for these people. It meant if they were going to follow Jesus, they couldn't go back to the temple and worship Diana. And for a lot of ways, that meant, for a lot of people, that meant that they had to lose both their cultural and their social identity as an Ephesian in the way that it was known. It also meant that if they were going to follow Jesus, they would have to stop practicing black magic. And that may seem like just a simple, you know, lifestyle choice. I don't know if it was wrapped up in their earning and their living or what it was, but for these people, they found the power of Jesus more beautiful and more powerful than the black magic that they had been practicing. And so they made the choice to follow Jesus, and it was a costly choice. The book of Acts tells us in chapter 19, if you want to read the story, that the people gathered all together in the center of the city for everyone to see, and they started a fire, and they brought all their scrolls and their black magic books and these men brought them to the center of the city and they began to burn them one by one in front of everybody. There was no going back. They were following Jesus and there was no going back. They were done with that old way of life and they were going to dive into their relationship with God. And it was meaningful because those books were valuable. Books are common in our day, not very valuable. But in those days, books were supremely valuable. The book of Acts tells us that the value of the books that they burned that day was 50,000 pieces of silver. And if you were to convert that over to today, in our earning power, it would tally into the millions of dollars. Jesus was more valuable and worthy to them than anything they had. He was most beautiful. And they had, they had jumped in to this relationship with Jesus with both feet in, in responding to the message of the gospel. So when we hear the passage this morning, let's listen to it through the lens of people who have already been through that. They've already made that decision, and now they're trying to live it out, and Paul's writing them a letter to encourage them in their walk together with Christ. Follow along with me as I read in your Bible. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, if we're going to let this passage speak to us this morning, we're going to hear the voice of God this morning say to us, enter into my presence and into a relationship with me with boldness and confidence. Jump in with both feet and trust that I'm going to meet you there through the truth of the gospel and your relationship with Jesus. 
And when we do, our lives are going to be transformed forever. Let's bow as we ask God to bless our understanding of his word. God, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we're here not just to get some Bible trivia or even maybe just some encouragement for this week that we need encouragement. But God, we're here this morning because uh, we need to hear from you. God, we're dependent upon you, and we love you, and, and more than anything, Lord, we open our hearts to what you would have for us this morning. Would you meet us by your Spirit? Would you penetrate past our heart, our minds, and into our hearts? And Lord, we lift all this up to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You see, God had an eternal plan and God's eternal plan for you and I was to be in Christ's body. Verse 11 says, This was according to his eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word eternal plan is something that you and I really can't get because we don't dwell in eternity. But before Adam and Eve took their first breath, before the world started spinning into motion, God had made a plan to rescue humanity. He knew the direction that we would head, and he loved us, <laughs> and he loved us so thoroughly that before the foundation of the world, he planned to send Jesus, his only son, to die in our place on the cross, to pay the penalty of our sins, and to make a way to, for us to have access to him. It was a plan for him from every people, for every people and nation. Listen to verse 6 of chapter 3. He, Paul explains to them this mystery that's been revealed in Christ. He said, the mystery is that the Gentiles, which are what you and I are, unless we're Jews, right, are fellow heirs with the Jews, members of the same body, Jesus' body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, God was working his plan, and he was revealing it step by step to mankind. Adam and Eve were, were, he breathed life into them, and, and, and you know what happened in the garden. They disobeyed him, and as he was pronouncing the curse on them for their disobedience, there was hope that he put in. He told Eve that in the middle of her painful childbirth, she was going to give birth to someone, and from her lineage would come someone who would crush the head of the serpent who had just deceived her. A little bit later in history, God went to Ur and met a man named Abraham who was there worshiping false idols. And he called Abraham out of Ur and brought him into what would be the promised land. And he made a promise to Abraham. He said, from you, there will be one offspring who will bless all the nations of the earth. You get a little bit more of the promise. And then with David, who he called to be king, he said, there's going to be an eternal king who sits on your throne. And we get a little bit more. This is going to be a king that's coming for us, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to be a blessing to all the nations. And then through the prophets, as they shepherded Israel through the dissolution of their kingdom and their exiles and their, their repatriation back into the land of Israel, he gave them a promise that the branch of David would would sprout again, that God would make his presence among his people, that he would write his laws on their heart, that God would be with them and be their God, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And that's the mystery, that from the world before, God had planned to give himself for us, that he would be our rescuer 
And that is the good news of the gospel. That is what gives us access to him. The plan was for all people to come together in one body in Christ and in Christ as members of the same body to experience all the fullness of the promises of God and the realization of those promises in him. The same body, the partakers of the promises with Israel through the gospel. If you look back in chapter 2 at verses 8 and 9, Paul spells it out a little bit more clearly. He says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So this morning you and I can't sit together, I don't think we'd want to when you understand the gospel, and say, you know, I'm a little bit better Christian than the person sitting next to me, and that's why God really listens to my prayers and loves me because I'm just so good. Because the gospel message is, is that you and I couldn't earn it. The gospel message is that Jesus did it for us. And the way that we receive salvation and the way that we partake in the promises of God is not because we're smart enough to claim them or good enough to choose God, but that Jesus was good enough to die for us and to offer it to us for free by grace, through faith, by trusting in him. That's the good news that Jesus has given us. Jesus himself, Jesus is the mystery. Jesus is the mystery revealed that God has given to us. Eternal life is not just a ticket that God gives us to heaven, but what God has done in the gospel through Christ is he has given us himself by making us part of Christ's body. That's so much more than just a blessing that we could get as a benefit, isn't it? God has given us himself. Nobody would have expected it. If you and I had planned out the plan of salvation on our own, we never would have come up with something like this. Nothing this beautiful and whole and loving and good and gracious and kind and glorious because God's heart is so big, he made this big plan for us to be included in Christ. And so the book of Ephesians goes in depth about what it means to be included in Christ. We're made peace with God in Christ. And those of us who were once far off from God's promises have been made near to God through the promises of Christ. So what's the difference between being inside and outside the promises of God? I don't know if you're an Anglophile and you like watching those English TV shows and there's always the, the royalty or the aristocracy, right? And then there's the people living on their estates around the edges. And the people living on the estates, the farmer tenants, they have access to the Lord or to the royal family inside because they're tenants. But there's a different level of access. Let's say the, the royal family adopts a child. What kind of access does that child have to the family? He's got complete access, right? He, he has a place there. It's his home now. Those are his parents. He has all the rights and privileges of the title behind his name. He doesn't worry about whether or not he's supposed to be there because he was chosen, and, 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 and they offered him this, this adoption, and he took it, and, and now he's theirs. And they love him just like he's their own, and they've included him in their same family. And that's the picture of what it's like for us to be in Christ or in Christ's body. 
God has given us access so that we have the same standing before him as Jesus does. Jesus doesn't fear in God's presence. Jesus doesn't run away. Jesus knows he's supposed to be there. He's part of the Godhead. And for you and I, that's where we stand. And so Paul can say that we have boldness and access to God. And it's why he said that this plan of salvation is manifold wisdom of God. That means just multi-splendored. It's like you've got a kaleidoscope and you see the picture of God's plan and you adjust the lens a little bit and the little pieces move and the color and the light, it dances there and it's more beautiful than the last image and you just stay mesmerized. And the more you look at it, the more beautiful it is. That's the plan of God that he has for us in Christ. So why is it that God gave us this standing in Jesus? What is the point of salvation? Is it just to make a bunch of moral people or, like I said, maybe just to give us a ticket to heaven? God had a much bigger, more beautiful plan in mind. And verse 12 tells us what that is. God has granted us access to him through Christ. Verse 12 says, In whom, in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The big idea is that God has given us what we lost in the garden. That beautiful, unhindered, daily walk of life with God. He's restored that through Jesus so that we have unhindered, unconditional access through him. But is it even reasonable to expect that we would have this kind of relationship to God? Did you have that feeling when we were singing that song a few minutes ago about the great I am, the great I am, holy, holy, worthy? Do you have an idea of how great and mighty and powerful he is? And what am I doing there? How do I have access of all the people on the earth to be singing God's praises in his presence? You know, I had an experience like this one day. I was down at Biltmore Fashion Park at Borders, um, which dates this story a little bit. If you remember Borders down there, and it'll date it even more because I was in the CD section <laughs> looking for music. And, uh, and as I was browsing around, I looked over and I saw a guy standing there in a black suit, you know, doing the, the talk into the wrist with the ear, curly Q ear uh, piece. And I thought, wow, somebody important must be here. Something's going down. I'm going to find out, right? So I, I wandered around and looked down the main aisle and I noticed a table spread out at the end and there were more secret service agents and there was a guy sitting there. So I went around the side and uh, I got in line and I, and I found out that the person sitting at that table was the speaker of the house at that time of House of Representatives, the United States House of Representatives. The third uh, in line to the presidency. And so I thought, well, this is my chance, right? I'm gonna go get my ticket and get my book, which I never read but pay 20 bucks for. And I went and got in line and they wrote Ben Burdick on a sticky note and put it on the front and I handed my book to him when I got up there and he stuck out his hand and he said, hi, I'm Denny, what's your name? And I said, my name's Ben Burdick, good to meet you. And he said, thanks Ben. And he wrote some personal message to me in the front of the book and we closed it and I moved on. And I had my brush with someone famous and powerful. But I thought to myself afterwards, would I, how would I ever have had access to the speaker of the house? I would have called up his office. I would have made it past the front office to the back office, much less to his office, to ever even have access to him. And he's only the third in line to the presidency. What kind of right would I have to expect that I'm just going to waltz into God's presence and expect him to just be great with me that I'm there? 
Well, that's what this passage is talking about. The word access means a way into some place. If you're in a battle scenario, the point of access would be how you could penetrate the enemy line and get in there so that you could defeat them. It would be like the doorway that gets you into the building or the access card that gives you uh, a permission to enter into an area. It's a way of approach. And the passage says that we have access through or by means of our faith, the faith of Christ, faith in Christ. And the Greek here is kind of a unique, uh, not unique, but it's, it's different than the way English might put it. They've translated it faith in Christ, but the Greek is the faith of Christ. And so you kind of have two options to understand this. You say it's either um, faith in Christ, my faith in Christ gives me access, which is true. And then the other side would be the faith of Christ would be Christ's faithfulness on my behalf. And I think this is a situation where it's a both and, where it's both my faith in Christ grants me access, but Christ's faithfulness as my Savior and the one who's pleading for me in heaven gives me access to God. The faith of Jesus is what gets us in there, not our own goodness. And so then we share in Christ's confidence. We're, we're confident and we're bold because we're at home, we're legitimate, we're, we're fully loved, we're fully accepted in Jesus just like he is, and we're completely upright because of him. This is just amazing. This is mind-blowing. God of the universe has said, come into my presence with confidence. But it's not something that's really unfamiliar to human experience in a family setting. It's like with my own kids. I have young kids like uh, Pastor Larry mentioned. And my little ones, they don't even hesitate to come up to me. If they want to come wrap their arm around my leg and say, hey, daddy, and tug on my shirt and say, excuse me, I need to talk to you, what am I going to do? I love my kids. I'm going to be right there for them. Or if they call out in the middle of the night and they're having a bad dream, I'm going to go in there and we're going to sing and we're going to pray together and help them go back to sleep because I care about them, right? They're my kids. You know, that's how God feels about us if we're in Christ. He's saying, come to me. Come on in. You're welcome. Come wrap your arm around my leg and stand there with me and be there with me. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about. And, and I'll show you who I am and I'll love you. I want you to feel it and know it that you're accepted and loved in Jesus. It's exactly what I want for my kids. I want them to know I love them, and that I'm never going to leave them, and there's nothing they can ever do that would make me love them any less, and that's just what God has for us in a relationship with Christ. And so he tells us, there's a command in this. He says, you're supposed to come into this access with God boldly. That means with courage. That means fearlessly. We enter boldly before Jesus, trust, or before God, trusting in Christ, it causes us to rise in glory to him, doesn't it? He's done this for us, and we have so much to be grateful for. The presence of God is where it's at. This is the end point, the, the, the purpose of salvation, as far as we're concerned and God calling us to him. This is the big thing that Jesus purchased on the cross. It's you and me with God. So think about the best vacation, or the best car, or the best experience, or the best relationship that you could possibly imagine. Think of the best career. You pull out your little Amazon scale, five out of five stars, a million reviews, right? It, it nails it every time. Let's say that that's your experience. But 
we don't know until we have jumped in with both feet in our relationship with God that the scale of life that's measured is not five out of five stars. It's a hundred stars. And unless we've met with Jesus and are engaged in a relationship with him, we're only hitting five stars out of a hundred. But in a relationship with Jesus, in his presence, near to him, we hit a hundred stars, full satisfaction in him. This is where it's at in life. Psalm 1611, one of my favorite passages, says it this way. It says, you make known to me, God makes known to me, the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That means that when you live in God's presence and you take advantage of the access that Jesus has given to you, you will have so much joy, you won't have capacity to receive any more joy. It'll overflow out of who you are onto other people like your spouse and your friends and your church family because God will fill your cup. It means that there are pleasures that are never exhausted today or tomorrow or next year or next decade or century or millennia or in into eternity. There are pleasures forevermore. We're used to it, aren't we? The law of diminishing returns here on earth, right? Everything loses its edge and we need more of it and more of it in order to be happy. But in a relationship with God, the reality is the more you get of him, the better the relationship gets and it only gets better from here on into eternity. And I experienced this in my life when I grew up in a Christian home and I heard the gospel young and trusted in Jesus as my savior. And it was an amazing experience for me. But as I grew in my faith, I became satisfied with just everybody else being okay with what kind of Christian I was. I, I slowly learned that if I combed my hair right and wore the right clothes and I did the right things at church, um, then everybody else would think that I had a relationship with God. And after a while, that became good enough for me. I was just happy that everybody else thought I was walking with the Lord. And some bad things started to grow inside my soul. I began to cherish some sins and live in that instead of living in my relationship with God. But one day I was, I was reading in John. I was there in my room. I was 16 years old. And I read a passage that said Jesus is rebuking these hypocrites. They were living fake uh, for God. Everybody thought they were in a right relationship with God, but they were living for themselves. And he said, how can you believe who receive honor from men, but don't seek the honor that comes from above? In that moment, God broke my heart because I realized at that moment I didn't have him. I, I wasn't walking in a relationship with him. I wasn't experiencing the beauty of a relationship with Christ. I was just satisfied with everybody else thinking I had it. And that moment I knelt in that chair and I was sobbing and I said to the Lord, God, I don't care about what anybody thinks about me. I don't want any sin in my life to stand in the way. God, I just want you. I want it to be real. I want it to be you and me, not anybody else in between, no sin in between. I want it to be you. And that moment changed my life forever. It was in that moment that I entered into this kind of personal relationship with God where he was more than just an idea or the giver of the perfect moral code or the one who was going to fix my life. He was a person. 
And he was alive and he wanted to know me and I wanted to know him. And in that moment, my relationship with God began. And I began to speak to people about it. I tell them, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I just met God. <laughs> and boy, was it good. And I never want to go back. And this has changed my life. That's what I'm talking about, where we come into God's presence and through access with Christ, we get to know him as a person, not an idea. And so for us this season, God's just calling us to stop dipping our toe in the water. Maybe you've walked with Christ and the, the fires of your walk with him have, have kind of cooled off, or maybe you've never do, uh, jumped in with both feet to follow Jesus. He's calling you this morning to dive in with both feet, to don't put any conditions between you and him, to say whatever it is you call me to change, no matter what anybody else thinks about me, God, more than anything else, I want you and how do you do that, right? You, you realize in life that things don't just happen to you. And a walk with Christ doesn't just happen by osmosis. The things that you love, you pursue. And if you love God and want a relationship with him, you pursue him. Just like you did your spouse, just like you did your degree or your career. You put your heart into pursuing the Lord. And how do you do that? You listen to his voice through the word of God. And you spend time with him in prayer. What if this season, and before you pick up your summer read, you pick up the Bible, and you just say, God, I expect to hear your voice in this. Would you please speak to me? I expect that this book was written so that I could read it, and I know that it's more than just to inform me, it's to transform me. And I want to hear your voice, and I'll follow you when you speak. What if you as a father or mother grabbed your children and your family together, and you decided to go through a book of the Bible together? And you just said, God, what is it you have for us? We want to hear your voice. We're going to read a small passage regularly, and we want to hear your voice. What if you as a couple did that? Or what if you as a coworker grabbed a couple coworkers and grabbed the Bible and read together and listened to the voice of God, expecting that he was going to meet with you? Imagine what God could do in your life and drawing you and other people close to him. Maybe it's just that you would spend some time in prayer. Maybe even this afternoon when you get home, you would just spend some time before the Lord and say, God, I want to know you. I want to meet you. And God, I'm not going to be satisfied until I press into this relationship with you where you and I are walking closely together. There's a promise. This isn't just me making this up. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The God who cannot lie has promised that if you move toward him, he'll move toward you. You know that in Acts 17, it, it, it says that God is not very far away. <laughs> he's right there. He's right there, and he's ready to respond as you draw near to him. This access to God makes all the difference in the world. Because it forms really the only source of stability, only source of confidence that we have to go forward in our lives. You know, everything about our life is changeable. But the relationship that we have with God is the only thing that's unchangeable. 
It's why Paul would say that the glory of the gospel eclipses our suffering. In verse 13, it says this, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's writing this letter, this amazing letter about access to God from, a, from in confinement. And he's not defeated, and he wants to encourage the Ephesians who might be thinking, well, wait a minute, God was so powerful, he defeated all these spiritual forces and delivered us here in Ephesus. How is Paul being stopped from effectiveness by being confined in prison? Did God give up? Is the plan failing? And Paul's saying, no, the plan's not failing. You have confidence and access with God. That's what God's doing through the gospel. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he explained to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Because the kingdom of God isn't like our lives, where we have a measure of success, and when we, uh, something bad goes in our life, it's a, it's a, it's a negative toward us. The gospel flourishes in the middle of all kinds of things. It flourishes in the middle of sorrow. It flourishes in the middle of suffering, of need, of hunger, of even death. Nothing can stop the good news of the gospel. And so Paul encourages them, have confidence. I'm not going to write you a pity party letter. I'm not going to humble brag about what's going on in my prison cell. I just want you to know, don't be discouraged because God's not defeated. This good news that I brought to you is going to persist on, and it is glory to God in elevating the Gentiles into the people of God's status, glory to God in millions of Gentiles who will ultimately read this letter later and be encouraged by it, just like we are this morning. It gives our suffering meaning as well, and really it, our relationship with God in the face of even death is the one thing that we need and the one thing that matters. What can eclipse access to God? Can suffering? No. Nothing's better than being near Him. So if you're a believer here this morning, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that God has welcomed you into His presence. He is inviting you. In fact, He's even commanding you to show up with boldness and confidence in Jesus that you have a place with him. God wants to fill your soul with full satisfaction and joy that can't be expanded upon and pleasure forevermore in a relationship with him. So dive in. Dive in. Don't let anything hold you back. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I, I've not made this commitment to Jesus, but this Jesus sounds pretty good. <laughs> and if he loves me so much, he's gonna die for me. I can trust that he's not gonna do anything wrong for me. I can trust to follow him. Maybe this morning you've heard that God gives salvation for free when you trust in what Jesus did for you. And you're ready to follow him and turn to him. Today can be the day that you realize the beauty of a relationship with God, where God can free you from your sins, God can draw you near and make you part of Jesus and put you into this beautiful body, the bride of Christ, the church. You can do that this morning. You can do it in your own heart where you just cry out to God and express just those things. I trust Jesus and I turn to you for salvation. Jesus, you're my savior and I want all that you have for me and I'll follow you. And in that moment, the promise of John 1:12 is yours. To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. 
And by that right, he gives you boldness and access with confidence. Let's dive in this summer and make this the best summer ever. Let's bow for prayer. God, we thank you for the beauty of your word. God, we would not have made this up. We would have never imagined that we could have this kind of access to you. And yet, Lord, you've revealed through Jesus that you've welcomed us into your presence. God, our hearts more than longing for anything else long for you. And I pray, God, your blessing on those here. Your blessing on me, God. Draw us into your presence and help us to know what it means to find fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. And God, we glory in Jesus this morning. We glory in Jesus that he's done this for us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.